Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us at episode 69, all about the epigenome or epigenetics and methylation. <laughs> so before you tune out and go into bleepy Lapu mode. We want to talk to you guys about how you can become in control of your body and how you can no longer blame your genes on your health state. Yes. So I know this topic can be quite intimidating. You guys are like, what? But ultimately, (laughs) um, it can be super empowering. It can help you to understand why you might respond differently to a supplement or a treatment or a diet than even someone else in your household or another family member. Absolutely. So, you know, based on your body's metabolic pathways, you're going to process nutrients and toxins completely different. And genes drive the expression of how your pathways function. So this whole idea of epigenetics was introduced to me, I think in 2007, by Dr. Jeff Bland, and he is the, I believe, director, some bigwig role of the Institute of Functional Medicine. So he coined that term, functional medicine, and um, Dr. Bland was speaking at Bastyr University all about orthomolecular therapies, which basically means mega dosing of vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and the great work done by Linus Pauling within that that field. And this goes back to how, you know, vitamin C eradicated scurvy and, and, and so forth. And in his discussion beyond, that was the first time I had heard the word orthomolecular, which was cool. And wow, okay, this is interesting. Beyond the field of dietetics, you know, not just nutrients having a function, but nutrients in a high amount or high dose having an ability to actually influence the expression of disease. Pretty cool stuff. And within that, he discussed this concept of nutrigenomics, which is within the field of epigenetics. And nutrigenomics is essentially how nutrients influence your genetic expression. And epigenetics, taking an, an even larger piece of that, of that concept, is basically everything beyond the genome. So our lifestyle influencers that drive genetic expression. So Dr. Bland was doing a lot of work with these things called SCRMs, which are selective kinase response modulators. I know, don't tune out yet, I promise. Um, (laughs) And these are compounds that he was studying as antioxidants and polyphenols and how they actually influence the expression of our DNA. And then another kind of bastier-driven guru in this field and topic is naturopathic Dr. Ben Lynch, who works with great influence on MTHFR and a bunch of different genetic SNPs and how those influence our genome. 
Okay. I have so many questions for you already, Allie, but yes, <laughs> next episode, um, we will be interviewing Dr. Ben Lynch and talking to him about his new book, Dirty Genes, which goes deep into the top seven genetic mutations and how you can actually adjust the expression of these through diet, lifestyle, and supplements. Yes. Dr. Lynch, I'm so excited that he will be on. Um, he's really been the go-to guy in all of the well-known names in the functional medicine world. So, you know, um, Chris Kresser, um, a, a lot of the individuals that are in Dr. Terry Walls, you name it, that are well-known and regarded. A lot of them still look to kind of Dr. Lynch on the influence of MTHFR, and he started that with his MTHFR support website and um, his line of supplements, um, Seeking Health, and um, has so much to offer in his new book. I've, I have previewed it, and I look forward to next episode. So we were hoping that today we could give you guys some of the foundational information about how genetic SNPs or genetic mutations can actually play a role with anything from anxiety to infertility to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth to cancer, chronic fatigue syndrome, and so much more. And the awesome and empowering thing that I hope all of you, um, when you end this episode today with the understanding of epigenetics, understand that there is something beyond your genetic code. And how you can work with what you've been dealt as far as your quote unquote deck of cards of genes to rebalance the tendencies that your genetic code may have. Awesome. So yeah, the intention today is to give maybe some more of the foundational information and then next episode, we'll just let Allie and Dr. Lynch nerd out and I'll try to translate. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So we'll be identifying just foundations of what epigenetics actually is as well as talking about the environmental and nutritional factors that play a role in expression of our genes. So we'll cover what genetic mutations and SNPs actually are, and then which ones we find most influential. Let's talk first about what epigenetics is. Let's create a definition, Allie, that okay. people can understand. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the the way I can best describe it is it is the science and study of the changes in the expression of your genetic code or your DNA sequence. Okay. And so epigenetics shows that our genetic tendencies can be either on overdrive or turned on, upregulated, if you will, or turned off or suppressed or downregulated, if you will. And so this is a change in the phenotype without changing the genotype. And that's the kind of geeky science terms, right? And so basically we're seeing that how our genetic code is read or the expression of that has much to do with lifestyle influencers. So mom and dad each gave you 23 chromosomes, which make that double helix of your, your 46 chromosomes DNA, right? And your lifestyle and your environment are going to play a huge role of how that genetic code is expressed, driving either more or less action in each particular pathway. So the idea of epigenetics essentially is creating that there is a roadmap and pathway of possibility, like your body has a choose your own adventure story with tendencies towards certain things. So you can be, yes, predisposed to certain things, but these are 
tendencies, not absolutes. So thinking about it like a whole bunch of different light switches that could be turned on or turned off. Yes. Yes, for sure. I think that's a great visual. Um, and then Allie, what are the greatest influencers on our genes? So age plays one. Oxidative damage and aging plays a role on our DNA expression. So that's a big one. And you know that's the aging process, as we will. Uh, the environment, as far as the pace of our lifestyle, which includes our stress levels, our actual disease state is going to play a role on our genetic expression. The state of our microbiome and our gut bacteria will play a role because we know that influences our stress and back and forth, as we've discussed. Our exposure to toxins. So an individual that works a 40-hour week as an esthetician using toxic compounds with uh, maybe um, like the eyelash um, glue or working as a nail salon um, using volatile compounds or someone that has or wears those things is going to have a higher exposure to toxins and that's going to drive a depletion in enzyme pathways that have genetic code for detoxification. So that's going to overdrive those pathways, right? Um, our nutritional status and our diet is going to play a huge role within that nutrigenomics world of what drives our genetic expression. And then the intake of pro or anti-inflammatory foods will play a big role. So there is some awesome research looking at this nature versus nurture concept. And epigenetics is, of course, looking at the nurture piece of it, right? And so we've looked at identical twins, which have the exact same genome, if you will, and their varied disease state. So based on if one had a happy marriage versus maybe a tumultuous divorce, that's going to put a different stress based on what state they're living in and different water they're drinking, different diet, different exercise output. Um, so we can see that nurture has a huge role. And we've also seen this in research when we look at adopted children having a stronger pathology or correlation of their disease risk and trends to their adoptive versus biological parents, especially in lifestyle diseases like cancer. It's so wild because we always hear, oh, it's in my genes. I'm more susceptible. You know, my mom has it, so I'm going to get it. And that's not necessarily the case. Right, right. I mean, so there are varied systems within our, our DNA methylation, our histidone modification, and our non-coding RNA, uh, which is really like our gene silencing. And these are the big drivers that influence on this epigenetic level. Okay. And this is really a new and empowering finding we're seeing more and more in medical research. Uh, the amount of just disease states and symptoms that are influenced by the epigenome is huge and mm -hmm. everything really comes back to this metabolic expression. So let's talk about some of the key symptoms and disease trends that we're talking about today. Yes. So ongoing research is continuing to unveil the role of epigenetics in, like you said, a variety of human disorders and a lot of uh, fetal diseases like um, miscarriage and um, babies not making it full term. A lot of this goes back to the epigenome and 
predisposed genetic um, drivers. So we can go kind of from up down. So from from the, the brain and mood, we are tying things like depression, anxiety, ADHD, autism, insomnia, irritability even. Um, all of those can be tied into the epigenome. We're looking at a lot of interesting genetic trends with weight gain and obesity, as well as errors in glucose metabolism, blood sugar irregularities, and the driving influence of cravings and food addictive tendencies. We are seeing hormone imbalance from PMS to PMDD and infertility, uh, difficulty with transition and menopause and the influence of estrogen metabolism, risk towards miscarriage, and as I mentioned, fetal development. We see even metabolic glands being directly influenced, so the thyroid and you know the influence of things like thyroid peroxidase with inflammation in the gland and Hashimoto's, all the way to things like fatty liver and even cardiovascular. So uh, one of the driving uh, markers that we're looking at, homocysteine, is directly influenced by the body's ability to methylate, and methylation is one of the big influences we'll talk about in a moment as far as the epigenome our uh, triglycerides, our blood pressure, uh, because our vasodilation is greatly influenced by genetic pathways and even blood clots. There are genetic tendencies towards um, platelet buildup and um, clotting formation with different clotting factors. And then of course, cancer is a big one based on both the influence of our genetics with our immune system, as well as our oxidative damage and detox pathways. Okay. And then a lot of these go back into those SNPs or gene mutations. And I know you named some symptoms like irritability, cravings, but beyond disease state, um, a lot of symptoms can be influenced by genes as well. So let's talk about those. Yeah. And, and so anything from honestly like aching joints to acne, there's probably a genetic piece of the puzzle. So the digestive tract is a huge area of focus where we're looking at from, from heartburn and reflux to IBS, which you know includes diarrhea, loose stools, chronic constipation, irregular bowel, gallstones are tied to genetic influence, uh, food sensitivity and allergy because there's a strong influence with Histamine activity, the DO, the DOA enzyme pathway, um, is a huge histamine um, driver, which is going to play a big role also with things like SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Uh, so the biome through uh, digestive reactions and bowel regularity and, and reflux can all be influenced by genes. And then even structurally, so things like inflammation in the joints and aches in the muscles, uh, fibromyalgia can be tied to genetic code, hands and feet running colder, even like Raynaud's um, as an actual syndrome diagnostically. Itchy skin can be histamine reactivity and thus uh, genetic, looking at things like excessive sweating, nosebleeds, rashing, hives, rosacea. A lot of vasculature influences um, are going to cause um, or be tied back to genetic influence. And then I mentioned, you know, a lot of the mood stability and brain influences. So from mood swings to obsessive compulsive disorder, to insomnia, to fatigue, to brain fog, a lot of that can be greatly influenced by genes. So pretty much everything. <laughs> 
Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, again, though, the idea of this isn't that you say, okay, so it's influenced by my genes, so I could easily be screwed. No, it means that you'd want to identify which gene is broken or malfunctioning or mutated per se, and what nutrients play a role with the expression of that gene so you can work with that wonky part of your deck of cards to help with its expression. Awesome. Okay. I think that sounds much more hopeful, right? Than just throwing <laughs> up our hands and its genes. Um, yeah. So we've referenced a couple of times these genetic mutations, but let's further define this and maybe go into one of the most common, the MTHFR mutation. Okay. So <laughs> I know I'm like this whole episode, like buckle your seatbelt guys. Um, <laughs> it's a little high powered hose, but I, I'm hoping that we all get a lot of pearls out of this. Uh, so your genetic code can create basically uh, barriers or roadblocks. And, and that's through these genetic mutations that are known as SNPs. And SNPs stand for single nucleotide polymorphisms. Basically, it is a altered genetic code and or mutation. Mutation just doesn't sound nice, but it's true. Um, so that gene doesn't function appropriately, okay? And so the altering on this gene is going to influence that genetic pathway. So again, thinking of it as like a mogul or a break or a roadblock on a road is a way of thinking of it. And so when we look at pathways or uh, genetic pathways of expression that are greatly metabolic, we're looking at pathways that include things like detox, pathways that I, I alluded to, the histamine reactive pathways, pathways that drive nitric oxide, which plays a role with vasodilation, um, and also then that in turn helps with detox. Uh, we're looking at pathways that deliver nutrients and then pathways that drive a process called methylation. So this well-known genetic SNP, MTHFR, stands for methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. <laughs> and this is a gene that influences the metabolism of folate um, and the process of methylation. So methylation is a process, a biochemical process of building or excreting. So this enzyme, this MTHFR gene, um, adds a methyl group to folic acid to make it functional by the body. And the MTHFR gene drives the process of methylation, okay? And so it uses folate or vitamin B9 and in this process, it can convert homocysteine into methionine, um, which the body needs methionine for proper metabolism, for proper muscle growth, and also to build glutathione, which is the granddaddy antioxidant. Uh, methionine, in that sense, also helps to eliminate toxins. And methionine has been tied to uh, support the building of SAMe, which has been seen in, um, it's, it's made in the liver and it helps with mood stability and also joint inflammation. And then on the converse side, if we don't convert homocysteine into methionine, homocysteine buildup can drive cardiovascular distress, inflammatory cascades, and is a marker of toxicity and um, a marker of cardiovascular concern. Okay. I think I got some of that. 
Um, so thinking about it, you know, as a wheel or a cycle, and if we don't have the right nutrients, that wheel isn't going to turn or we can have like backup of certain products. Is that accurate sort of? Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, the, the methylation process, which is just one of these genetic pathways, both builds and excretes. So it builds things like methionine, which is a positive compound for the body in many senses, and it excretes things like toxic compounds. And so for instance, someone that has the MTHFR SNP or mutation, they're going to be higher prone towards anxiety and depression because they're not building as much of that natural feel-good SAMe. And they're also going to be higher prone towards toxicity because they're not as um, supported in the detoxification pathways. Okay. That makes sense. So we can see expressions on both ends then. Right. Right. Uh, And before we go too deep into what nutrients influence and how um, MTHFR can be addressed, let's talk about even variances within these SNPs. So it's not a black or white or yes or no, is it? Right. So, you know, within our genes, like we said, you get 23 from mom and 23 from dad. So each SNP or genetic mutation is going to have a role from what mama gave you and a role from what your dad gave you, right? So you can have a heterozygous or a homozygous expression of a SNP. And hetero meaning two different, homo meaning two of the same. So a heterozygous expression would mean that either mom or dad gave you a bad gene per se, and the other one is working functionally. Um, And then homozygous would mean that the dice rolled out of your favor where both mom and dad gave you a bad gene. And so you would have zero expression of that particular pathway. Um, So there's hetero, which can be one working, one non-working, and homo, which is both non-working. And then within that, (laughs) taking it a little deeper down the rabbit hole, within MTHFR and many genetic enzyme pathways, there's going to be very known pathways within that. So for MTHFR, the most well-known one is the C677T. And that one, you can call it MTHFRC, that's a C copy. And that one is known to have about 60 to 70% functionality. And then the next well-known MTHFR enzyme pathway is the A1298C. And that's about 30 to 40% of the functionality. So, you know, you can have hetero or homo of either of those versions. Got it. Okay. And when you say 60 to 70%, functionality that's that the gene is functioning at that capacity so if if someone was for instance homozygous meaning both didn't work on that c copy which is the more the more dominant that would mean that they would only be functioning at about 30 to 40 percent because 60 to 70 percent of their gene is snipped or non-functioning okay, <laughs> because they were homo. Now, if they were hetero on the C copy, we would take half of that 60 to 70% that would be deducted from their functionality, right? So then they'd be like still at 60 or 70% if they're heterozygous C copy. Okay, cool. <laughs> like you got your calculator out. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, yes. So even within like one genetic mutation or SNP, there can be variables of influence on so based on so many things for sure. Um, so 
with today's episode and the concept of epigenetics, um, you're saying even if your worst case scenario or your homos, I guess, for that C copy, you can do something about it, right? Yes. And that is what is so awesome about epigenetics and the concept of our environmental impact on the expression of our genes. So the environment, I'm not just talking about, you know, the sky and what's outside of our house. I'm talking about our toxic exposure, our emotions actually as a driver for the epigenome, our stress, our diet, our support network. Um, So, so many different external influencers, again, that drive function or expression on possibilities rather than the definitives of, of the roadmap of our genetic code. So, yeah. Yeah. And and so I'll use Stella as an example because I think that this is a good way of, of kind of, you know, putting a cute baby's face to the story. Um, so, uh, Brady and I had known our genetics going into things and, um, we are both, I am heterozygous C copy and a copy on MTHFR. And um, Brady is heterozygous, I believe, also on the C copy. And maybe that's it. I think he's, he's negative on the A copy. And um, so we knew Stella, worst case scenario, could be homozygous if we both gave her our bad gene copy, right? And, and it, it shows that we did. So Stella is homozygous on the MTHFRC copy, which means that she only methylates at about 30% functionality on a genetic level without help, right? Um, And what adds insult to injury in Stella's specific case is that she's also homozygous bad gene copy for something called GST1, which is uh, glutathione S transferase. So glutathione, again, is kind of the granddaddy antioxidant. And if you are not driving your glutathione transferase wheel and you're not getting that antioxidant basically um, capacity functioning and you're not methylating at optimal status, that means that she is much more prone than other babies per se to toxic buildup. Um, and this is why we've decided as a household to hold off vaccines. So, you know, if we do vaccinate, we're going to wait until at least over 24 months or two plus years when her gut is sealed. Um, so we've closed that gut blood brain barrier. So she's at less at risk from the adjuvants, which are the volatile compounds that kill the virus into the cells. You know, that's the concern is even if it's thimerosal mercury free, the aluminum crossing the blood brain barrier. And for Stella's body in particular, and we will do a whole episode. I've had a lot of requests on vaccines and um, we will do an episode on this, but I think it kind of hones in on why individuals may make this decision. Um, So, you know, we're looking at her to be more susceptible to the toxic adjuvants because her body cannot detox with that GST1 genetic SNP. And then also she can't methylate or um, drive the excretion pathways as well. And so she's got a little bit of a double hit to her system on detox pathways, which means also we want to keep her in a household of organic foods. Um, We're keeping her free of grains and gluten to keep the diet anti-inflammatory. We're looking at a rich source of cruciferous vegetables, healthy, clean proteins, berries, antioxidants, and healthy fats. And, you know, we won't be able to drive her as a bubble baby, but, but we need to be mindful of how we can over-respond knowing that genetic makeup. 
It's so cool to know that, you know, whereas if you didn't know that, she might have to kind of backtrack and look into things later in life. Um, it's so yeah. cool that you know that from the get-go. Uh, I mean, before we talk, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, we can't say bar none, the influence, but the, the strongest research argument out there against vaccines is for individuals that have that MTHFR. And we can't say, oh, you know, our child would be autistic without knowing this. We don't know that, but we know that her risk would be substantially increased based on her genetic makeup. Sure. And Allie, before we talk supplements that you use and, and kind of strategy, um, let's talk about the testing a little bit that you did with her. Yeah. And how so, you can find out these things. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of different um, tests out there. 23andMe is one of the most well-known out on the market. For Stella, we used Genova Diagnostics. Uh, which is a functional lab, and they do a buccal swab, which is basically a cheek swab. Um, so we uh, gathered cheek cells and submitted that for sample. And I believe it was like around 10 different SNPs that we looked at. Um, so we looked at the MTHFR, the GST1, we looked at another glutathione pathway, we looked at COMT, um, which she was great there. So that helps with mood stability and such. So um, yeah, th that was what we did, the buccal swab. And, and saliva is the general go-to. Um, there's a bunch of different companies out there now, um, but, but MTHFR can also be assessed in the blood um, as a marker as well. Yeah. Um, and the 23andMe, they don't necessarily give it to you on your genetic report, like the shiny, pretty profile that they give you that tells you you know, if you're at risk for Parkinson's, um, they analyze certain genes for health risk. They don't give you your, your SNPs, but they are available. Um, my husband and I did that. And if listeners have done um, 23andMe, you can go to different websites and plug those in, actually get the SNPs analyzed and they can tell you, okay, what does this actually mean? And is that like genetic genie? Or? Yeah, I use okay. genetic genie. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll link to all of this. Cool. Um, so with Stella, then, are you pretty strategic, I assume, with her supplements? And what is what is she using? Yeah. So, um, goodness, I won't go into her whole supplement load, but, but specific to MTHFR and this GST1. So we give her, um, well, first off, she was breastfed, of course. Um, and so we're looking at uh, supporting her biome as a big piece of the puzzle. And we are also, um, we started her on liposomal glutathione as a rub over her liver about three to four times a week. We give her a 50 milligram pump of that. Um, and then she also gets 250 micrograms of 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate, which is the bioavailable form of folate, which drives the MTHFR wheel. So it's basically the gas for the brakes or the roadblock. Um, and then we also give her another methyl donor, which is methylcobalamin. Um, she gets 60 micrograms of uh, methylated B12, and that's both in her multivitamin. So um, those are two big ones. We, we give her a probiotic, vitamin D, and other things. I'm not going to go into that. That's a whole other episode. But specific to genetics, we give her that um, glutathione cream, and then the 5-methyl-tetrahydrofolate and methylcobalamin. And it's important to note that um, the methylfolate with other nutrients that 
drive, I, I call them methyl, methyl donors. So there's nutrients that can, again, kind of put gas on that wheel that might be a little slower if you have a SNP. Um, but by giving the body that methylfolate, that's an immediate kind of high octane fuel, if you will. And so that's used to create and process her neurotransmitters. It's going to help her nervous system and the responses of things like serotonin, epinephrine, dopamine, it is going to help to support her immune cells and how her body processes hormones, and then also provide energy and um, support her detox pathways. Okay, awesome. And and so with all of this, there's kind of a sweet spot, right? Like too much of certain nutrients, like methylfolate, could be harmful. Yeah, and this is where I am really excited for next episode to talk with Dr. Lynch because many functional medicine practitioners actually go for like the higher is better thing. And especially in pediatrics and children, I'm very conservative as far as a dosage of methylfolate um, because there's something called the methyl trap um, where it, the body may not be able to use the compound or too much um too much 5-methylfolate can block um, or cause B12 deficiency. Also, if we shunt the products, like if we just drive one wheel on high acceleration, what does that do to the other enzyme wheel pathways in the body? And so there's an, another genetic SNP called COMT. I kind of alluded to that and mentioned that Stella is negative for that, which negative in the sense of genetic SNPs is a good thing. <laughs> that means that the gene works as it was created. Um, and so COMT, if there was a genetic variant there or a SNP, that individual is going to have a high intolerance to dosages of 5-methylfolate because the COMT pathway, if it has a SNP, can drive a buildup of catecholamine stress chemicals. And so if you drive methylation, let's say on high, high dose, like more than two, three grams a day, which I've seen dosages upwards of five grams and plus. And again, I was talking in micrograms for Stella. So when we're going up, so that's, you know, not milligrams, that's not even stepping in the middle. It's going all the way up um, to the um, gram dosages. And if we give that high of a dose of, of methylfolate, it's like you're driving one wheel so loud, you're revving the gas that that can suppress other metabolic pathways. And for individuals that have SNPs on other pathways, that can drive a buildup and create dysfunction. So anxiety, insomnia, uh, mood swings can be seen in high amounts when someone has a COMT um, if they're given too much methylfolate. So I'm very strategic. And when we were looking at our selected private label multivitamin. I'm really happy and confident with the multi-defense uh, multivitamin for adults uh, because it has a, a good dosage of methylated B vitamins without being extreme. And so it takes into account without having to do your genetics, you're getting enough of a methyl donor to help to drive that wheel if you had issues using the folate, but yet you're not getting such an abundance that's, that's going to suppress other pathways. And same thing goes as said in our BioAvail Kids, which is our chewable multi, it's very strategic to provide the methylation support without excessive activity. So even if we didn't want to go down the rabbit hole right now of assessing all of these things, it would be good kind of as an insurance policy to get on the multi-defense with a methylated form. 
Oh yeah. And, and definitely. And, you know, this is one of the starting points of epigenetics, right? So you're working with the genome and understanding it and giving the pathway what it needs to function, even if it's a dysfunctional pathway per se. Got it. And then, you know, there's also harm associated, especially for MTHFR with using the synthetic form of folate as folic acid, right? Yes, I'm so happy you brought this up um, because folic acid is something that I'm constantly screening when I'm looking at, you know, Stella only eats whole foods, but so many of any, any grain food is fortified. And um, so even if it's like a certified organic puff of something or chewy thing or whatever, um, often there's going to be synthetic enrichment and in adults too, you know, from vitamin water to you name it, even if it's sold as a quote unquote health food, most forms of fortified foods have the synthetic folic acid and anytime or your vitamins, a lot of the vitamins available at natural health food stores have folic acid. And so I want you to flip over your multivitamin and make sure that you do not see the word folic acid or you don't see the word just B12, which would be cyanocobalamin. You want to see methyl or nature made folate is another, um, coined term that we use in our B complex um, that we have through the naturally nourished line, which is the methylated folate. Um, but you want to make sure you do not see folic acid. So the, the issue with that is, I mean, it really hit the food industry um, because of white bread. So, you know, going back boom, boom, boom to food science, when we remove the exterior elements of um, the grain, um, we were able to create a more shelf-stable product, but we know that we created a less nutritionally dense product. So when we remove the exterior parts of the grain, we also saw a drop in the population with folic acid. A lot of those B vitamins are in the external parts of the grain. And so we saw um, white bread being sold to the masses. And we also saw a surge of birth defects and medical issues. And so government started doing research and they found neural tube defects as a tie-in to folic acid. So government funded big influence of folic acid to hit the market. And um, that's what started to be used as the B9 nutrient to prevent neural tube defect. Now the issue with folic acid is that it does not have a methyl group, unlike 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate that you'll see in our multi-defense or in our B-complex. So when it doesn't have a methyl group, for people that have the MTHFR SNP or can't methylate, that folic acid as an oxidized synthetic compound builds up in their system. And um, this can drive actual toxicity um, versus helping to drive that wheel. Okay. And then can you, so you can convert folic acid to methyl tetrahydrofolate, right? Or methylfolate and, and, are there side effects of this excess folic acid, are you saying? So yes, you can convert folic acid. And the studies that were done were done on rats. And rats have different enzyme pathways than people. Um, and rats do not have a methylation SNP. So when they fed rats folic acid, they were rocking out methylfolate, boom, 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 boom. Again, in individuals that have MTHFR SNPs, those individuals cannot effectively make methylfolate from folic acid. So to convert folic acid into methylfolate, you need to have 
functional genes in the first place, right? And then you need to have functional enzymes and the nutritional cofactors or um, activators. So things like B6 and um, even glutathione and some of those drivers. So it's difficult to be in that perfect synergy and many individuals are not. Um, and, and the issue is enzymes that need to be in the perfect fashion are often depleted in our current day-to-day -day lifestyle where we're exposed to medications, heavy metals, inflammatory chemicals, um, additives, toxic chemicals. And so we are not sitting there in a pool in a perfect environment to drive that wheel with the folic acid. And yeah, we've seen excessive folic acid in research driving neoplasms, which can lead to cancer. Um, we've seen the presence of unmetabolized folic acid in blood associated with decreased natural cytotoxicity, so less natural killer cell activity, so the immune system is not optimized, which means that it could drive autoimmune disease in excess, and, and also, as I mentioned, cancer or cellular malformation. Um, we can also see excess folic acid masking B12 deficiency, and we see this in the elderly population. Um, where we see onset of anemia and neurological health concerns. Um, and, you know, the folic acid is prescribed to individuals with rheumatoid arthritis taking um, the drug methotrexate. And it's really important, especially for those individuals, to be using the methylfolate uh, because they are getting very high, heavy uh, doses because that, that drug, that rheumatoid drug, influences that pathway as well. Um, so I know that was a lot, but ultimately the, the big thing that I see as a trend when I look at like, you know, all of those trends of, of MTHFR, we're talking again, autism, insomnia, infertility, um, miscarriage, um, you know, does this have to do with the fortification of folic acid? Because MTHFR as a genetic mutation is not new. That's been going on since genes have been genes, right? So in, in human population. But is it the fact that we've created these fortified foods within the last 50 years and it became mandatory in the 90s that we're seeing an upregulation of this? It's not that there's a higher population of MTHFR. It's that there's higher reactions within the MTHFR likely due to the folic acid overload. Okay. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a super, um, <laughs> that's super dense and super, um, uh, empowering. And I think, you know, that is true. Like what we have to look back and see, okay, what is it that we actually changed and it's the food or it's these, you know, lower quality supplements that have been brought onto the market with just folic acid in them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's why it's always that concept of a uh, first, you know, harm mantra um, of knowing what you're taking. And I think when we see negative outcomes on, you know, vitamins and supplements not being helpful, it's often as we've discussed, you know, soybean oil in the fish oil or <laughs> these synthetic forms that drive dysfunction versus optimal function. So it is really important that if you are using supplements, that they are third party assessed and pharmaceutical grade you know, like everything that you will find on our site, of course, we do a lot of that vetting for you. And that's the idea of this as a resource to really understand what you're putting in your body and how that will function. And on the diet level, it's another argument to not eat processed foods, right? Because processed foods ultimately will be fortified. And the fortification is something that I'm, I'm pretty, as you can tell, largely concerned about. 
Yeah, and so genetic mutation is one thing, but then having it in the presence of stress and toxins, or in this case, the synthetic folate, really can accelerate that predisposition. Totally. And then, you know, on the other hand, diet and stress relieving activity. So diet rich in folate and it's bioavailable form, not folic acid, but in nature made folate or methylated folate, um, practicing stress relieving activities, doing a nutritional detox and um, supplementing with these bioactive compounds can otherwise rebalance the mutation and make it almost non-reactive as if it's not even an issue. Yes. And I think that's what's just so empowering about all of this. Um, let's talk about my favorite part of every episode, food as medicine support and what we can do to empower ourselves, whether we know that we have this gene expression or not. Yes. So if we're talking about epigenetics in general, we want to reduce inflammation in the body and optimize our micronutritional status. Because like I said, all of these wheels or pathways have building blocks or contributors and cofactors. And those all come from nutritional dense sources. So following a real food, more primal paleolithic diet that includes nourishing fats, antioxidants, and phytocompounds. So for those of you listeners that are new, a great resource is my Naturally Nourished Cookbook. Another resource could be my Optimal Eating Virtual Class. And for those of you that are looking to accelerate weight loss and metabolic function, the Virtual Ketosis Program and, and those ketosis eBooks, because all of them use whole foods, focusing on antioxidants, phytocompounds, and a more primal approach. We want to, on the other hand of the spectrum, of course, avoid eating, like I said, anything processed or synthetically enriched, um, and watching out for those quote-unquote health foods that um, scapegoat this. So like I mentioned, you know, the vitamin water or these bars, a lot of the bars on the market will have check for the synthetic nutrients. That's like usually a rambling list at the bottom, and they'll say, oh, it's just a vitamin mineral blend. Well, look at that folate and see if you see folic acid and then throw it away or don't eat it. We'll also see refined sugars in processed foods, of course, and these fuel imbalance because they're going to drive imbalance in our microbiome. They're going to cause systemic distress. They're going to burn through B vitamins, which are big drivers of a lot of enzyme pathways. So starting with a foundational balanced whole food diet is definitely the first, the first line of defense you have for your epigenome. Okay, awesome. And then we know that another way that we can work with genes and support healthy expression of those genes is to reduce exposure of toxins in the environment and then support our body with detox supporting nutrients. For sure. So we could avoid our exposure to plastics is a big one. That is one of the main sources of our endocrine disruptors. So drink out of glass and stainless steel invest in a water filtration system, stop buying plastic water bottles, you guys. You're not getting any benefit from that. And we're gonna get, the only thing we are getting from our plastic water bottles is hormone disrupting compounds like xenoestrogens, which mimic our estrogen molecules and can drive estrogen dominance. There's a lot of other endocrine compounds that we get in plastics which can work against our thyroid um, and can really distress our detox enzymes. And so, Avoiding plastics is a huge thing. Um, I think of the, the three P's. So it's typically plastic, perfumes, and pesticides. So the next recommendation would be looking for 
chemical-free and fragrance-free products. So um, from cosmetics to household cleaners, looking for things that are free of harsh chemicals and toxins. Um, I will put a note in the show notes to uh, Branch Basics. I get asked about this a lot. This is what I use in my household for cleaning from the floors to the countertops to the bathrooms. It's a um, concentrated solution that you dilute to different amounts based on what, um, so if you're cleaning glass or um, a surface, you would use the same foundational concentration and then it's diluted. So it's also very eco-friendly, but I really like that. It's very effective and um, free of fragrances and chemicals that would work against our body. Um, there's so many different makeup lines and um, uh, Facial lines like Tata Harper, uh, Beauty Counter, Origins, all of those are three that come to mind. I will, maybe we can put a link to that um, cosmetics um, yeah. blog that I put out, which has a couple different companies, and that's good resources for you guys as well. And then um, on the pesticide side of things, of course, choosing organic produce and buying from small scale farms on a local level is going to be your best source for not only less pesticide exposure, but also for more nutritional density. And one way to kind of tie all of this together in a shiny ribbon is by driving your body's detox pathways and doing our 10-day detox. So beyond reducing the exposure, you know, all of us are unfortunately living in a dirty world. And so there's, you know, 6 billion plus pounds of toxins released into our environment annually. And yes, the liver and kidneys do play a great role in supporting the biochemical processes of detox. But as we've mentioned, many of these processes can have roadblocks based on your genetic pathway um, or you know the cards you've been dealt. And so a part of empowering your epigenome is going to be by focusing quarterly or at least semi-annually on an increased intake or an abundance of the nutrients that drive your phase one and phase two detoxification enzymes. And so my 10-day detox program focuses on resetting your metabolism, restoring your digestive health, and renewing your cellular health. It works on a bell curve and has uh, detox supplement packs to give you the abundance of nutrients that drive phase one and phase two detox pathways, and then strategic therapeutic diet to support that 10-day cleanse. Okay, awesome. And what are some of the biggest um, detox supporting foods, I guess, that you would find in a program like that? So we're going to focus on things like cruciferous vegetables, so broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, turmeric, uh, lemon, and um, the citrus family, not grapefruit actually because that does block cytochrome P450 enzyme, but your lemon definitely works in a positive way. Allium, so your onions, shallots, uh, garlic, and then probiotic-rich foods are all big emphasis, but there's a lot of strategy beyond that. So those are things we'd want you to keep in your, your regular diet per se, you know, to help to support and have the epigenome benefit, but then actually doing the therapeutic cleanse through my 10-day detox, I'd recommend, like I said, at least twice a year, if not quarterly. Awesome. And then since we focused on it a lot this episode, let's also talk about foods that are rich in folate. So not folic acid, but the yeah. bioavailable form of folate. Yes. So we think of foliage um, as the richest form of folate. So these are like leafy greens. Um, so we're talking about uh, vegetables like uh 
kale, spinach, romaine lettuce, uh, turnip greens, mustard greens, just getting your blend from your farmer's market would be best. Then we're talking about cruciferous um, vegetables as well. Broccoli is a really good form of folate, asparagus, and liver. So uh, calves liver, beef liver, chicken liver are going to be great bioavailable form of folate, of, of, of not foliage, excuse me, of nature-made folate or bioavailable folate. So trying to get organs into meatballs and things like that would be a great delivery. And um, we can put a link in our show notes also to our organ pate, um, which you can do as a puree to also really offset and support those pathways. I actually made that this past week. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Um, and then beyond eating clean and supporting your body with those folate-rich foods, choices on where you live, what you do for work, social interactions physical activity, even mental state, mindfulness, all of your connectivity to the universe, environmental toxins, nutritional state, there's so much at play here. For sure. And it all comes back to, right, you can't out-supplement lifestyle. So you can take these uh, tools, the multi-defense, um, you know, the detox packs and such to support but eventually, you know, if lifestyle is so off kiltered, you're going to be running up a downhill escalator. And so it does put that whole body approach into this. And, and it's empowering in the sense that you are in control of your destiny. And you can no longer say, I just have bad genes as an excuse. You know, this idea of epigenetics puts you back in the driver's seat of your body. And knowing that we make over 300 food-related choices a day, the more we aim to choose those that are health-supporting rather than health-depleting are going to work in our favor. And then identifying those, those higher-risk factors. So whether it is an abusive relationship, um, it, it could be within friends or family members or partners, you know, so identifying those distressors, identifying distress within our career state, um, even a, a lack of mental or personal peace. What are the Achilles heels within ourselves that put these accesses on overdrive? And how can we find synergy to work with the body so that our underlying genetic code is, is going to maintain static? It's not going to change. But again, what we can change is our expression of that based on all of those life factors. And start with food today would be, would be my strongest recommendation and where I can help you guys get above water as best as possible. This is all just so cool and can be so empowering, I think, to the individual. So your genes, your genes are just a pathway of what potential is there, but you can reroute them to an extent. Absolutely. And, and I think that the recognition of lifestyle choices to influence genetic predisposition is really the fundamental principle in how I practice functional medicine. You know, it's this idea of lifestyle and drivers being the underlying root causes of illness. And I think that the epigenome, again, like as we discussed those disease states and symptoms in the beginning part of this episode, the epigenome really weaves a lot of this together for us. Awesome. Well, I am so excited for Ben Lynch up next episode on our podcast. And that is 
it for today. So if you, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all, right? <laughs> so you can just go ring out your brain. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but if yeah. you enjoyed today's episode and the content that we provided for you guys for free, um, we just ask that you go on over to iTunes and leave us a review with five stars and a sentence or two about the podcast. Yes. And please take a moment to share it on, um, or, uh, share Allie Miller RD on Instagram and Facebook with friends and family to spread the word of food is medicine with those that you love. I hope you guys have learned a lot and are feeling motivated and empowered to manifest your destiny and put your genes to work for you. So we'll talk next time with Dr. Ben Lynch and learn a little bit more nitty gritty on how to get our, our, what he calls dirty jeans to to scrub and clean and um, work for us. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.